You ready for this show? Not good. Just too much sweetener. Mm. Tim's fired. Sorry, Tim. I, I thought you poured your own sweetener in there today. Did I? Well, hey, everybody, and welcome <laughs> to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm PRD, your host with Stephanie Schaefer. What's up, guys? Alongside Pastor Matt Brown, where is your head at today, man? Uh, right here. How come you quit calling me PMB? I don't know. I'm just, Pastor Matt Brown feels a little more uh, clear and about who you actually are. Yeah, but are. my Debrief title is The PMB. All right, here he is, The PMB, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. The PMB, as yeah. Tim Holly also says, the PMBTL, trust, or TLPMB, our trusted yeah, leader, Pastor Matt Brown. There he is. Oh man, I can't. You can't, you can't do, do that. that. Nope, I can't. And my son, they, him, and his little kindergarten or third grade friends, they started a club called yeah. the Little Nerdies. And this oh, is one of the no. ways you get in. Yeah, like you do a little nerdy. Pl- I can't get into it. You can't get in. Yeah. Wow. No, yeah. For I those of you who are listening, that. we're doing the Spock Live yeah, Long oh, and yeah. Prosper the, symbol. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Some of us are doing it. Others of us are being excluded by their uh, yeah. little show friends here, guys. Sorry. It's all right. Well, today we are tackling all kinds of good stuff. Questions about mental health, stress, anxiety a lot of other things along yeah. those lines. So it should be a good one. Indeed. So let's go ahead and jump in. We've got um, a couple different categories we're going to cover today. We're going to talk mm-hmm. mostly about the topics of stress and anxiety. Just did a yeah. sermon all about that, which was incredible. We'll talk um, about some general mental health topics and then wrap up with really, how can we help people who are struggling with their mental health? we got a lot of great questions in on that. So we'll start. TMB, we've got way more questions than normal. They're all pretty intense. Hmm. Does that stress you out? No. All right, there you go. Feels not anxious at all. No. Just relax, people. Yeah. No, nice. giving giving answers to people who actually want answers does not stress me out. Mm, giving advice to people who don't want advice, that stresses me out. That's true. <laughs> like, right, you know, I just, I can't stand, like, people that ask questions that don't want an answer. They want affirmation. Mm. So that's not me. Yeah. That I don't know not- why, but I just, only because of the alliteration, I ring the bell. Yeah. And it was wise. I'll ring it. that bell. All right, moving on. Uh, our first Good question. question. Sorry. Oh, sorry. We're, we're, no, we're, we're here. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. It takes a while. Pregnant Stephanie is a little bit slower to the party, but she does show up. Yep. She does show up. Oh, okay. That's actually, that's fair. I do move a lot slower. I can't even joke with that. I have to tell Tyler to ratchet it down when we're walking places all the time because I can't yeah, keep exactly. up. Well, you are carrying a human in your I abdomen. I know. Welcome to my I life. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Jamie says, I'm a Christian and I've struggled for many years with anxiety, depression, and mood swings. I'm in ministry and often he- I hear that worry is a sin. Is anxiety a sin? Yeah, of course. So we have to talk again about what sin is. Sin is to miss the mark. So if I'm shooting for the bullseye and I shoot and mm. I miss anything other than perfection, that's what sin is. Oftentimes we confuse uh, sin as evil. Um, so what it means is not perfection. That's what sin actually means. So is anxiety not perfection? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it not perfect? Yes. So it is sin and we need to confess that to God. And so the result of anxiety, I think is you know one of three causes. It's a biological cause, something, you know, that our biological makeup. Sure. And so we can go to the doctor and medications have some uh, benefits for that person. Some of us, um, it's emotional and we need to go to a psychiatrist or psych- as a counselor and work through and talk through some hurts and things in our lives. And for some of us, it's a spiritual issue and we're under spiritual attack. And so well, there needs to be some form of deep healing there where we pray into that and we uh, consult God. And for some of us, it's, it's all three mm-hmm. um, because... Um, you know, we, we, we're not categorical people. You know, we're not spirit, 
you know, body and then mind, we're all three. Right. We're, 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 you know, a, a package deal. For some people, so, it might be a lack of caffeine making you anxious. Yeah. So what I would say is really get into some counseling. And so I, I think that anxiety um, really for me is the result of two things. It's things that I haven't processed well in my past. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those things translate into what I'm afraid is going to happen in my future. Mm. So what I need to do is I need to go back and deal with, okay, w- what are some of these things in my past? Because I think what anxiety is, it's it's the reality that we've experienced life as stressful. Life is not perfect. Things have gone wrong. Things have gone bad. And so because of what we've experienced, we're afraid of what the future might be. And so we need to work through that. And for some of us, it's some wounds from childhood. It's wounds from a past relationship, some abuse, some hurt, some misunderstandings. Or just things that you know we didn't experience. Uh, no parent is perfect, and so every child, sorry Stephanie, will come into the world as a broken individual. You know, no matter how much uh, Stephanie and uh, Tyler try to do their best, their brokenness will rub off on their kid. And just like my brokenness rubs off on my kids, and your brokenness rubs off on your kids, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. And so um, we try to love them and do the best. And so the better we do at at those things, obviously, the more healthy kids come out. But um, you know, so I would say look into that. And oftentimes he said he struggles with anxiety. What else? Depression and mood swings. Okay. Well, I mean, some of those things, let's work through that. You know, what is anxiety? Anxiety is the reality that the world is a stressful place. It is a stressful place. Let's embrace that. Let's accept that. Let's acknowledge that. It is a stressful place. And so just be real with yourself. I mean, the truth is we should, the question is not why do some of us feel anxiety? The question is why aren't we all anxious <laughs> when you look at the world as it is? And that's why it's so important for us to trust God and the story of God and um, and the story that he wants to rewrite in our lives. And so we, we've got to embrace that. So I would say, don't be ashamed or embarrassed um, to um, confess the sin of anxiety. Um, I can't remember what book it's in. It's in the Catholic Bible. I, it's, either, it's either the book of wisdom or the book of Sirach. But it says, be bold in your confessions. Hmm. So um, I wish we had that in our um, our evangelical Bible, but we don't have that verse. But be bold. Don't ever be ashamed or worried about confessing something. And so um, that's what I would say is, hey, guys, I'm really struggling with anxiety. So when I'm experiencing anxiety, the first thing I do is I tell people, hey, I'm feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. I tell my accountability group. I tell my small group. I tell my wife. I, I reach out to people for prayer. So I think that not telling people increases anxiety. So the next was what? Depression. Depression. Man, depression is, I, 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 you know, I mean, there's multiple reasons for that. I would encourage every listener that, that struggles with depression, take as freezing of a cold shower as you possibly can in the morning. Um, go jump in a cold lake or a cold river. Listen, this is not just like uh, my opinion. This is medically proven to alter um, our moods. And so there's just something about freezing cold water that kind of wakes us up and, re- mm. and hits that reset button. Also look at diet, you know, um, especially if you're raising young boys, um, you know, boys uh, physiologically have to have protein and fat for breakfast. If they don't, their brains cannot reset until the next night when they sleep all the way through. Mm-hmm. So think about that when we're giving everybody sugar and donuts and coffee in the morning, we're not getting Cereal. high fat. Yeah, you know, we're not getting high protein. So especially men, women can realter uh, physiologically throughout the day. As men, we can't do that until we sleep again. So um, and I think that's a lot of the behavioral problems that we have with young boys in school is they've not had high protein, high fat diet in the morning to help them. Uh, so we give them sugar and caffeine because that's going to help them <laughs> sit down and pay attention. So, so um, you know, but I would say see a counselor and try to work through 
what's going on in your life. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed to tell people. I, I, when I'm in counseling, I, I talk with people about it all the time. I, I mention my counselor, Dr. Smith, all the time. He's in Corona. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. Um, but you know, whenever I have a struggle, you know, working through something, my wife is not my counselor. I can't expect her to be that. She's my wife. And so just know that your husband, your spouse, your best friend, nobody can be all things to you. Nobody can be Jesus to you. So go to Jesus with the things that you need to go to Jesus with, but go to a counselor, a trained professional, uh, or at Sandals, we have soul care professionals, not professionals, but soul care trained volunteers. And we have some professionals that can come alongside you and help kind of create a route for you to have a plan. One of the things that cause, I think, increases anxiety is the lack of plan. Mm -hmm. So I'm anxious and I, I don't have a plan to fix this, which causes me to be more anxious. So at least if you can kind of develop a plan, I think that you, that immediately will allow you to be like, okay, I'm anxious, but here's my plan and strategy for dealing with this. And the last one, so anxiety. Mood swings. Mood swings. I mean, that could be strictly <clears throat> biological. So you need to go and you know ha have yourself checked out because you might be bipolar. And man, God can use bipolar... Uh, people for uh, amazing, amazing things, but you need to recognize that. You need to be honest about that. Don't turn to recreational drugs. That's what a lot of people with um, high mood swings do. Uh, when they're feeling low, they turn to depressants. When they're feeling high, they turn to, um, you know, um, stimulants. stimulants. Thank you. And so that just really whacks you out. So go to a doctor, talk through that, and try to find a happy medium in there. And don't be ashamed. You know, some people have to live on medication for their entire life. And so my prayer for you is that that's not the case, but if it is the case, man, own it mm -hmm. and and just you know try to deal with that. But so so just just know, yeah. Um, and, and so here's what I would say: is is anxiety, depression, is it a sin? Yes, it's missing the mark. Can it become evil? Absolutely. Sin can fester into evil when it affects how we treat people, how we treat ourselves, how we look at people, how we look at ourselves, how we treat God, mm -hmm. how we you know how we look at God. Man, how we feel and how we see can affects what we do. And so, um, you know, it may not start off as evil, but it can quickly grow to that. And that's what sin does. Sin grows. You know, you don't have to work at downward momentum. <laughs> you just don't. That, that's why people sin more than they do good, because sin is always the easy road. Mm -hmm. And doing the good thing is always uphill. It, it's always uphill. Um, but where are we going, hopefully, at the end of our life? Up, you know? Um, and that's one of the things... Uh, that I think that's so important about what the Bible teaches us about Jerusalem. Every time you see Jerusalem in the Bible, do you know what it says? And we went up to Jerusalem Yeah, everywhere because it's a mountain city. You go up, where is heaven? It's up. When Jesus ascends into the sky, he goes up. And so that's what we're trying to do as Christians. We're, we're living in the here and now, but we're aiming up. And mm -hmm. so that's going to be difficult work. So I just would say, get some people in your life that aren't afraid of that and um, you know, some people don't understand depression. They don't understand anxiety, you know, and, and God bless them, but find some people who are compassionate, are empathetic and kind of understand that. But also don't surround yourself with people that make excuses. Surround yourself with people that challenge you, uh, that encourage you to do the right thing. Um, you know, like if you're an alcoholic, don't surround yourself with people who give you beer. If you're trying to lose weight, don't surround yourself with people who are, you know, constantly feed you cake. If you are struggling with mental depression, don't surround yourself with people who make excuses for how you feel. You can affect how you feel if you begin to deal with it. I'm not saying you're gonna be completely healed, but you can change uh, your body. You can change your physiology, you know, based upon changing the way you eat, sleep, work, and in some cases with medication and counseling. You can't, this is what I, I would say, it can be improved. I'm not gonna say it's gonna disappear. It can improve. And so, um, try to figure out what you can do to improve that because what you're doing isn't improving it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So make some changes. All right. 
was so, an 11 minute answer. <laughs> that was good. So Karen wrote in and said, you said in your sermon about um, how to deal with anxiety and stress that we have two choices on how to deal with our stress. We either let it go or give it to God. How do you practically give something to God? I feel like I'm giving the same thing to God over and over again, and I don't know what to do. Right. So what would be really helpful here is what you are giving over to God over and over again. So I'm guessing that you omitted that because it's embarrassing or maybe it was just a you know, uh, you, you just didn't think that you needed to give that. But so that, that's the thing is we need to be honest about what it is that we're giving over and over to God. And so um, so go back and hit our question again. So you said in your sermon, we have two choices on how to deal with our stress. We either let it go or we give it to God. And how do you practically give something okay, to God? Okay, so let me re-clarify. Here's what I wish I would have said is there are some things we can control and we need to do something about it. Hmm. So God is not in control of everything. He's put us in control of some things. So here's where anxiety and stress comes from is when I try to control what only God can control. I can control what I eat. I can control um, uh, when I sleep. I can control what I say, what I do, my actions, my behavior, my lifestyle choices. I can control those things. Um, So I need to do those things. Like, so if I have um, a crazy two-year-old, I just don't give the two-year-old to God. I'm bigger, stronger, stronger. and I can deal with the two-year-old. So I need to... That's not allowed? What? To give no, okay, I gotta, you cannot do that. Hold on, I got to send a yeah. quick text to my wife. No, you're quick. not allowed to send your children to an orphanage. So you need, to, you need to control what you can control. And so here's the thing is, I think a lot of us put on God what God's put on us. So we make excuses because we don't want to take responsibility for our choices, for our bad decisions, and for our life. So you need to look at yourself. You need to, be, you need to have an honest conversation. And here's one of the things I don't think our society is able to do we're not able to have honest conversations with ourselves. Like for example, you know, these hurricanes that hit Florida this year, why do we live in Florida? We, like, it, does anybody think that this is gonna be the last one? No, there's gonna be another one and another one and another one. And, you know, as, especially as Americans, you know, as, um, uh, what's the, the big one that hit Louisiana a couple, 10 years Katrina. ago? Katrina. Katrina, look, uh, there's one part of, um, what's the city called? New Orleans. New Orleans that was unaffected. You know what part was completely unaffected by Katrina? The original city built by the French. Do you know why? Hmm. Because the French built on the high ground Hmm. where they wouldn't be flooded. What have we done ever since as the city's expanded? We built into a valley and most of New Orleans is a big Mm fishbowl. So when the dikes break, guess what happens? It floods. So, you know, we need to have those, should we live here? Is this, is this, you know, we need to have those conversations, but those, those kind of conversations cost big money. Mm-hmm. If we if we change things, and so we we need to ask that, but we we don't, so we keep living there, saying, "Oh well, God keeps doing this." Um, we we just need to be honest, and 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 so the thing is, look, you're not going to truly change until the pain in your life is greater than the pain to change. Mm-hmm. That's when we make the change. When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. It's why we don't change mm-hmm. because change is hard. It's hard. It's hard to change your diet. It's hard to change your lifestyle. It's hard to quit smoking. It's hard to stop drinking. It's hard to change your friend group or your or or your relationships and your friendship. Those things are very, very hard. But if you want your life to change, you have to be willing to do that. So ask yourself, say, God, instead of handing it to God, ask God, God, what part of this is me? So here's the thing is, is I think we are all literally unlimited in our ability to deceive ourselves. I I would say once or twice a week, people in our church say, God told me to do this and I just don't understand why it isn't working out. And and if I could be real in every situation, I would say this, I'm not convinced God told you to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm just not. 
And so, you know, we gotta be very, very careful of decisions that we make on our own, by ourselves, and then we attribute the responsibility to God. You need strong, mature Christians in your life who will challenge you and say, no, I, I, I'm not sensing that, or I don't feel that, or that doesn't feel like God to me. Because what happens then is we're not responsible for anything in our life. God is. It's all God's fault. And the reality is God's never going to sin. We do. So what, what of this is me? And then what is God's? So here's the thing is, here's where my stress was. My stress is related to money. Look, I, I can't control what people give at Sandals Church. I can't. I have no control over that. I have to give that to God. But what I can't give to God is the responsibility of leading our church and directing us according to the finances that we have. Yeah. That's my responsibility. Right. And I can't just say it's up to God. So I have to make the best decisions I can with the money that we have as a church. That's my responsibility to lead the church in a way that will not put us in financial jeopardy. A lot of, I think a lot of pastors and churches are, are ignorant on this issue and even, and even foolish. Mm-hmm. Well, God's gonna provide. Well, not if you're an idiot. So, so that's where I gotta do my part, but I can't ultimately control how God prompts people to give money. That's his responsibility. Yeah. So I need, to, I need to give that part to him, but I need to make sure that I hold on to my, my part. And so, um, you know, the old song, Jesus take the wheel. So the real question is, Jesus, do you want me driving? Jesus, do you want me going to this destination? Mm. Like, you, you know, you, I, need to, I need to control the wheel, but Jesus, I need to listen to the directions of where you want me to drive. See mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And that, mm-hmm. that's where the song is, is a little bit off. It's God is not this micromanager that's, you know, in my life, you know, constantly left, right, left, right. He's moving throughout history. He's, you know, he's 50,000 feet above and he has his vision and direction for humanity. That's why he's given me his commandments. Those things are supposed to steer me. Mm-hmm. Those things are supposed to direct me. There's a lot of do's and don'ts in scripture. And some people say, wow, that's under the law. That's called wisdom. Don't do those things. You know, run through the 10 commandments. Uh, we're gonna do a series in the fall called 10 Reasons Everybody Needs God. Run through the 10 commandments in Exodus 20 and tell me which one you shouldn't do. Like thou shalt not kill. Nah, well, you know. Except for, except for Justin, mm-hmm. right? Sorry. So, so that's what I would say is you keep giving something to God. I would find a strong, mature, if you're not comfortable sharing with us on the show, uh, come in and talk to a soul care person and let's just be honest about what that issue is. Maybe it is God, maybe it's you. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we just have to um, be honest about that. And so again, that's why the vision of being real is so important because uh, our next series, we're gonna talk about, um, we don't have a title for it yet, but we're trying to figure it out, but it's all about you and it's all about how who you are, excuse, how you see God, how you see others and how you see yourself. And we have to address that in order for you to see clearly. You know, Jesus said, if your eye is bad, everything you see is gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. But if your eye is good, so if, that's why vision is so important. I need to see accurately to live accurately. So, you know, I wish we had more details on, on, on that question, but I think that is the challenge of all of us. What part of my stress is me handing over to God? Mm-hmm. What part of it is me? And I need to take responsibility and I need to change mm-hmm. this. And so- um, you know, decision, decisions matter. Your decisions matter. You can't continue to live a stupid life and ask God to bless your life. You yeah. can't do that. You have to change your life. You have to change your behavior. Um, it's why Jesus says, come and follow me. Don't live your life, live my life. Mm-hmm. Luke nine twenty three, which I know you love every time I quote, if any man or woman would come after me, let them first deny themselves, pick up their cross that is willing to die a painful death, which is what changing your life is and come and follow me. 
So then you're going to learn to live freely and lightly. Then you're going to learn the truth. Then you're going to learn, you know, love and you're going to learn hope. So um, for all of us, we need to pray and we need to, we need to immediately doubt our ability to discern what is God's and what is ours. That's yeah. where we need to begin. Mm-hmm. That's where we fool ourselves, right? So how does, how does the devil tempt Eve? Did God really say? Mm-hmm. It's right. That's the original temptation is what is God's? What's me? What did God say? What's my responsibility? So we have to ask ourselves, okay, I have, I have an unlimited capacity to just deceive myself, God, and others. So, um, you know, the Psalm says, Lord, keep me from deceiving myself. So w- what's mine? What's yours? And um, if it's God's, give it to him. Give it to him. So I, like, for example, let's say um, I find out I have cancer. Well, I got to put my life in God's hands because it is. What's my responsibility? Seek treatment, mm-hmm. live healthy, and make sure that every single day I'm living it like it's my last. Those are my responsibilities. Anxiety and worry is going to be focused on how long do I have to live? That's up to God. My, my anxiety and worry should be focused on what do I need to do today to treat my body in such a way where I can live as long as possible, love my family as much, and do the will of God. That's what I need to be focused on. Yeah. And so um, what's God's, what's mine? And yeah. um, again, it's all God's, and that's what Christians will say. But the question is, you know, I had this conversation with a pastor. He said, well, God's in control. I said, yeah, but he put you in charge. Hmm. So, and he didn't, that was our last conversation. Yeah, our, our, my coaching ended at that point because he didn't want to hear it. Yeah. He doesn't want to hear that your decisions matter because if things aren't working out, guess whose fault it probably is? Mm. Yours. So, yeah. All right. And I would say too, I feel like what I've learned over the years is that entrusting things to God or handing things over to God isn't necessarily always a one-time thing. <laughs> Even like you talked about dealing with depression, anxiety, it's not a one and done. I went to counseling once. I did yeah, this once. Oh. I prayed about this once. I'm better now. I think a lot of people then feel ashamed. Like, well, the next day you wake up and you're still depressed. You're still anxious. Mm-hmm. You're still dealing with whatever the thing is that you're trying to go over. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes it's a day by day thing. I mean, it talks about picking up your cross daily. Mm-hmm. It's not just a one-time thing. And so I think, you know, to Karen, give yourself some grace that this may be a thing that you have to continually hand over to God, process with God, process with others over yeah. a season or over your, the rest of your life, that it's a daily thing to process. It's not necessarily a one and done thing to let things go and get yeah. back on. For example, um, you know, some people struggle with their weight and it's going to be a struggle their whole life. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be, there's not going to be a healing, right? There's mm-hmm. not going to be a moment. You're going to have to, you know, Justin's raising his hand. Justin's going to have to work harder than the rest of us to remain healthy, to watch what he eats because your body's metabolism reacts to fats, sugars, and proteins differently than other people do. For example, your wife, um, <laughs> right? Um, so is that fair? Well, where, show me the verse where it says life is fair. Like I, I've been looking, I've read the Bible through, I don't know how many times I haven't found that verse. Maybe you've found that. Um, God loves us all, but, but he, he hasn't made life fair in any capacity. You know, we're not the same in intellect. We're not the same in our, our, our physiques. We're not the same in our talents, our, our creative, you know, you know we're, not, we're, we're different and, and that's okay. So just be willing to say, this is my cross and I'm going to carry it. And, uh, you know, like Stephanie said, you know, I've had bouts of depression that have gotten better and worse the last three months. It's affected my sleep. It's affected my eating. Like I've had heartburn, like you can't believe. And then my back went out. Um, you know, that book we talked about, The Body Keeps Score. Well, my body's been keeping score. And, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, you think about that bridge that collapsed in Florida. Why did it collapse? It couldn't handle the stress. Do you know what they were doing? When it collapsed, did you read? Stress a test. stress test. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody forgot to maybe shut down the freeway during the stress test. 
So, right, because human beings have a great capacity for stupidity, foolishness, and whatever. But there's a lot of people that say, why would, you know, why would God do this to my, God's not the one that built the cement bridge over the, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, that was mm-hmm. human. That's a human error and humans make mistakes. And so we have to be willing to own that, accept that, and understand as hard as we try as human beings, we all sin. We all make mistakes. That means airplanes crash, trains go off the trail, off the rails, and bridges collapse. That's the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because God's not in charge. We are. But we get to choose in the next life, do we want to live under God's sovereign rule or our own? And, um, you know, so, and, and let me just say this. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, it can't get any worse. That's a lie. Things can always get worse. Sure. You know, you know, the, there's a reason the Bible describes hell as a bottomless pit. Mm-hmm. There's no bottom. Mm-hmm. It can keep getting worse mm-hmm. forever. Sure. So, you know, a lot of people say, what the heck? What could possibly get worse? Well, guess what? Your life. So here's the best way to change your life. Start making good, right, and true decisions today. We can't fix yesterday, but we can fix today. We can change today. Totally. All right. Okay, Mari says, thank you for being real about your personal struggles with anxiety. Uh, from your experience, how do we get people to uh, people close to us to understand the struggle? Should we even try and get them to understand or just share what we experience? I don't know what she means by just share what we experience. Um, In your own personal struggle with anxiety, how do you help people understand what you're experiencing? Or do you even try to do that? Well, here's the thing. So we need to be in community groups. We need to surround ourselves with people that that want the best for us. Most of us, you know, I think only like 50% of our church is in a community group. That's Mm -hmm. a problem. So we're surrounded by family. we're, We're surrounded by old friends. We're surrounded by a lot of people that don't want the very best for us. And so here's the thing. Even if your family loves you and cares about you. If they don't know God, they don't ultimately want the best for you because the best for you is a right, good, and true relationship with God. So we need to surround ourselves with people that want the very best for us. We, we, everybody needs cheerleaders, but we need cheerleaders that are cheering right behavior and challenging wrong behavior. And so um, I, I think that we all need that. So what the first thing I would say is, look, like I said, some of us struggle with weight. Some of us struggle with anxiety. Some of us struggle with depression. Some of us are battling cancer. Some, right? I don't. I can't understand everyone. I'm called as a Christian to carry the burdens of others, specifically in my community group. That's that. That's the front line of my obedience to God. So I'm I'm living out God's kingdom. And so just so you know, I don't consider me loving and carrying the burdens of my biological family obedience to God. Jesus actually says that's what normal people do. He hasn't called us to be normal. He's called us to follow him. So I need to also be caring for his family and his church. And so I don't understand everybody's burdens, issues, problems in my community group, but I love them, care for them, and I'm trying to be there for them. And what does that mean? I cheerlead what's good and I challenge what's bad. So um, I, you know, I don't know. You, and again, you got to be real with yourself. How are you expressing your anxiety? When are you expressing your anxiety? Right. I mean, if it comes out weird or awkward or intimidating, or you know, if you're socially off a little bit, like all of those things play into that. And so you have to look at yourself and say, what am I doing, and how am I presenting myself in a way that people will more be more likely to care about me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and a lot of us don't want to do that. We want to put the rejection of us off on the world rather than saying, okay, what are some things that I can change about who I am and how I act and how I behave to make me more likable. That's part of being a Christian. That's what it means. Love is, uh, what is it? peace, love. Man, why can't I do the, the fruits of the spirit? Love is- Peace, joy, patience, kindness, kindness goodness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And self-control. Self-control? Yeah, wow. a lot of those make you likable. Mm. Right? 
So we need to we need to try to become more likable. And it doesn't mean fake, it means good. Good people are likable. Like you want to be around good people because they're gonna be polite. They're going to be concerned for you. They're not only gonna talk about themselves, they're gonna be interested in what you have to say, right? Goodness is attractive, it is. And so, so make yourself more morally attractive, more um, you know, intellectually attractive, more uh, socially attractive, right? We focus as a culture on beauty. Um, you know, <laughs> Tammy was telling me um, she likes John Mayer. She follows him on Twitter. John Mayer tweeted yesterday. Um, he said, oh, yeah. "Yeah, he said he said if if you're good, <laughs> if you're pretty, all that means is congratulations, congratulations on your face." On your face. He <laughs> said, "Beauty is." you're a good person, you're loving and kind. But it was like, congrats on your face. <laughs> so, you know, we're not talking just about making us externally beautiful, but being a good person. And so I think what he's stumbling upon there is really what the gospel's actually called us to do. It's not just be attractive physically, but to be attractive morally, personally, you know, um, to think deep thoughts and to be concerned for people. And um, I, I think that's attractive. I think that's one of the reasons our church grows is people feel genuinely concerned that I'm genuinely concerned for them because I am. Yeah. I mean, you guys know I love to go out there, shake hands, and I, I'm constantly trying to find a way when somebody asks, how can we meet this need? How can we care for this person? Because that's who I feel God's called me to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not just me. All of us are called to be concerned for other people. And, um, and I need to be in a community group where people are concerned for me. And it works really, really well, which is why I mentioned that as soon as I had my encounter with God this week, I immediately contacted and reached out to everybody in my community group. So I kind of didn't get the first part of the question. I think you... No. Yeah. Um, yeah, how do off. we help people close to us understand our struggles with anxiety? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess I did answer it, but yeah. just yeah, have, <laughs> have grace for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, have grace for people. Nobody knows. You know, I was just talking to uh, a mom in our church whose kid is struggling with deeply, deeply with depression, anxiety. And I just told her, I said, nobody knows what to say or do. Nobody knows, especially long-term battles with illness. No, like everybody's down for a prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, it maybe even they'll come for a healing. Yeah, but nobody knows how to walk through a long struggle. Long suffering is a part of what it means to be a Christian. We're not very good at it, mm -hmm. and so we've got to learn to walk through um, struggle, through life, and sometimes through death with people. And um, that's what it means to be a Christian. And to, to be loving. And so we all need to get better at that. So all of our listeners commit to, when somebody shares a struggle, just say, man, I'm not exactly sure how to handle this. Um, I'm gonna do the very best I can, but let me say this to everyone who confesses something, everybody's treading water. So here's what we do is we expect everybody to stop treading water and come save us. Mm -hmm. We need to understand we're all trying, we're all trying to survive. So we have to have grace for each other. We can't put uh, responsibilities on other people that we couldn't, to ourselves. That's why we worship God and not each other. Um, and so I've, I've met people that left the church because some encounter they had with me. Well, I'm treading water just like you, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's not an excuse to be sinful, but I'm not going to handle every situation perfectly. So you've yeah. got to worship God and not a leader or a person. You've got to trust God in that process because he's the only one who isn't treading water, mm -hmm. right? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's what Jesus says. So great questions, man. Yeah. So Chanel wrote in and says, I've been struggling with physically debilitating panic attacks and depressive episodes for the past five years. I've been told so many times over my life that my mental illness is a result of me either not doing what God wants me to do, not praying enough or not seeking help. But I go to church on a regular basis and involved in an amazing community group and have been to, through therapy three separate times and have an active prayer life and relationship with God. 
How do I explain to my family and others that mental illness is not just something that can be prayed away or help start a healthy conversation around mental health? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, right, we, um, one of the people in my life's name is Rick Machow. He has, uh, I don't know that they're saying terminal brain cancer, but if it's not healed, it's terminal. So I, I will say that. I, I certainly don't want to prescribe his, you know, the outcome of, of his brain tumor. Right. But it's an aggressive form of cancer. It's in his brain and, and oftentimes that's not good. So at Saddleback Church, they did a big prayer for healing and we all came together. And uh, I think we need to do that. And we need to treat mental illness just like we do cancer. We pray for healing, we hope for the best and we prepare for the worst. That's what, right, that was the last verse. Give God your best, prepare for the worst, trust God for the ultimate victory. So here's what I would say is, um, some people are going to struggle with mental illness their whole life. And so we need to love them, be compassionate to them and treat them as brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And so, um, yeah, people, you know, not everybody gets well. Not everybody is healed and that includes mental illness. And so um, I think that our culture has, um, we've put mental illness in a negative box and I don't think that we, we, we should treat it just like a broken leg. We should treat it like cancer. We should treat it like anything where, look, it's a disease and we need to love you and be uh, concerned for you and care for you. Now, having said that, if um, part of your disease is making um, it hard for you, for people to be around you, um, if you're being overly negative or critical, or you, or people aren't exactly sure how you're going to respond or act, you need to have compassion for them to know that okay, part of my mental illness makes me uh, makes people uncomfortable around me, and so part of that's on us. We need to grow and be more comfortable around you, but you also need to be aware that okay, my mental illness can cause people to be intimidated by me, and um, and it's just it's just being self aware. So two things I have to deal with, um, I wouldn't say that I struggle with mental illness, but I'm a close talker that intimidates people, makes people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and I stare, I've been told many times into people's souls. Yes. You didn't have to, Sorry. Stephanie's been one of those people that says that. <laughs> and so, you know, I have to take a step back, um, blink occasionally, <laughs> right? Because when I listen, I'm a very active listener and that makes people very, very uncomfortable. And so, um, so, you know, how does your mental illness make people feel and be as concerned about them as you are about yourself? And I think that that will hmm. uh, make you um, much easier to be around and, and will allow people to love you the way that they're supposed to love you. And just know you're battling a mental illness. People are battling relational brokenness and hmm. that's their issue as well as yours. And we're all trying to do this together. But anybody that makes you feel bad or terrible that it hasn't gone away, it sounds like you're being proactive. You're doing everything that you can do. And I think that's amazing and know that God is pleased. And I think God will bless you in that. I think you're definitely picking up your cross and following him. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm sorry that you struggle with those panic attacks. And 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 that's the reality. Um, so. Is there a point in which stepping out of a relationship, like in this circumstance, might be the appropriate thing to do? You know, like after all these repeated mm -hmm. attempts, like the question is, how do I, if I, how do I get my family and others to understand I can't just pray this away? If somebody else is taking a, a pretty unhealthy approach, um, like a non-supportive approach, it sounds like. Yeah, well, Christians say dumb things, you know. Um, my cousin was going through a horrific divorce and, um, I mean, just just awful, 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 awful. And um, if she is a believer, she's a moderate believer, you know. Um, I'm not sure where her, her faith lies, but my aunt says, as she's just sobbing, she says, well, God will never give us more than we can handle. I'm just like, shut up. You know, that's the dumbest thing. And I think Christians, you know, what we want is we want to fix everything and wrap it up in a box and be done. And oftentimes heal, healing is a much longer journey. 
um, than that. And so I just would say there may be some family or friends that are actually increasing your anxiety. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you can love people from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think God calls us to love the gorilla in the cage, but he doesn't call us to get in the cage with a gorilla. And so we need to figure out, okay. Feels like we should ding the bell on that. Yeah. Just okay. a timid one. Yeah. Figure out how to tweet Right. That. So, um, I mean, for some of us, you know, uh, our parents are, are just, their brokenness is just so bad. So how do I honor them? Like the Bible says, well, sometimes the best way to honor them is keep a healthy distance, uh, really set secure boundaries and make sure that I, I'm safe, right? Because, um, so, so that's what I would do is really, really look at, you know, who are the, who are the people in my life that increase my anxiety? Who are the people in my life that seem to heal my anxiety? And mm-hmm. I would try to reach out to those people that, that heal more without becoming, you know, an overwhelming burden on them. And again, you got to put your faith ultimately in God, not in people. So mm-hmm. that's a great, that's a great point. Okay. Marcel says, uh, and I can emphasize, emphasize, I can empathize. empathize. I'll, I'll trust you guys yeah. with this uh, really specific question. I've never really struggled with worry until I had my boys. I'm a stay-at-home mom of four boys under the age of 10. I had one son who's allergic to everything, one who's on a mission to break every bone in his body, one who's terribly shy and struggles socially, and a toddler who never sleeps and is a runner. With these boys, I don't know how to relax and not worry. The last time I let my guard down, my son ended up in the hospital and almost died because of a peanut cross-contamination. How does a mom like me live without worry? I feel like I put them in God's hands. Yep, this sense of duty to keep them as protected as I can always invades my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sounds like you're doing everything that you can. Um, here's the harsh reality. If a kid has an allergy like that, there's a good chance that something could happen and they won't make it. And so, um, you know, for most of human history, moms and dads lived with the reality that, mo- that kids would die. Right. Now we don't live with that reality. We live with the assumption that if our kids die, we've done something wrong. And so that increases anxiety. That increases like our worry. And, um, you know, it, it, it just does. And so we, we just have to say, Lord, I'm gonna do my best. Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my very best with these kids. I'm gonna prepare for the worst. Um, you know, I heard about this kid that um, had a peanut allergy attack on an airplane and there were no... EpiPens in there, you know, they're 40,000 feet in the air and, and it was almost catastrophic. Um, like that stuff happens and uh, it's freakish, it's scary, but the reality is, man, stuff happens. And so I, I just would say, Lord, I'm gonna do my very best. And um, what I would encourage you to do is not put your guard down, but to put your anxiety down. That's what I would do is just mm-hmm. say, okay. Um, and boys are tough, man. Um, I'm sure that your kid with the peanut allergies doesn't want to admit at all that he's anything um, inferior to his brother that's sole goal is to break every bone in their body. <laughs> and again, boys want to live a dangerous life. Boys want to, um, you know, I mean, they're just different. And so I don't know if you grew up with brothers or not, but it's just a different life. And so uh, my heart goes out to every mom out there of all boys because it's a, it's a, it's a different world. Um, so I just would say, you know, again, figure out what, what can you control and what can't you what, what do you need to give to God and what's on you? And so my heart goes out to you. That's it's a difficult, difficult job, but it's also a blessing. And you're going to have four boys. They're going to love you, you know, your whole life. And moms and, and sons have a very, very special relationship. And um, I love it when my son says, mom, you're so pretty, you know, and she just loves it too. And um, so, yeah, parenting is rough, man. It is. <laughs> I, I think all kids have one goal every day and that's to die. And parents have one goal and that's to prevent that and thwart mm. that. So, um, Yeah. I don't have anything. I agree. Yeah. 
All right. So moving away from the topics of you know, stress and anxiety and worry, uh, Richard wrote in and says, I've been alcohol free for four and a half years, and I definitely feel that alcoholism and addiction are mental illnesses. They are something I've struggled with since I was 14 and I'm now 34. I've learned to cope, grieve, and process everything in sobriety and not run to being intoxicated to mask my feelings or problems. Hmm. Now, I would like to journey into finding inner peace and being reasonably happy. I feel it's going to negatively impact my family, friends, and myself if I don't, as it often translates into anger. I get feelings of inadequacy, depression, and anxiety all the time. Is there any advice you could offer me or people in recovery who may be struggling with these same issues? Yeah, I would just say that you're normal. I think every human being struggles with that on some level. Mm -hmm. I just think some of us are more aware of it than others. You've done a lot of hard work. Um, Sounds like you're very, very clear about who you are and what God's called you to do. And so I just would say, first of all, give yourself some grace. Uh, You know, the 12 steps, God help me to, you know, basically control the things I I can and to let, you know, the things I can't control to you and the wisdom to know the difference. And I know I just slaughtered the the, the talk, but I'm not a member of (laughs) AA. So, um, you know, that, that's what I would say is, is give yourself some grace and, and be patient with yourself. And so here's, I think for all of us, part of the problem in the world today is that we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. And what you need to compare yourself is to who you were yesterday. So how are you growing? How are you changing? I need to compare myself to who I was yesterday. Mm. It's way too easy to be overwhelmed with what everybody else is doing. Well, you're not everybody else. Mm-hmm. You need to be who God's called you to be. And so we need to measure change according to ourselves and you've battled a lot. You've battled addiction since you were 14 years old. And what that means is you're already a walking miracle. Mm-hmm. You're a walking miracle. And that's a beautiful, amazing thing. And you should take a healthy, non-sinful amount of pride in that, that you changed your life when many people don't. Um, you know, um, I would search where that anger is coming from. Oftentimes when people change their lives, they become a little bit frustrated at everybody else who doesn't attack their weaknesses as vigorously as somebody who's really undergone mm-hmm. some uh, pretty transformative change like you. It's really easy to be judgmental of others. You know, like I always say, you go to the gym three times and you're judging every person in there. You know, where have you been? And, you know, hey, great, you ate one piece of fruit and now you're, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on. So um, <laughs> nobody knows who he is anymore. So Get to the fruit bowl. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what I would say is give grace for yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to where you were. And I think um, you will be a much peaceful, more peaceful, happy, loving person. What was the last part of his question? Um, just that, you know, I want to find inner peace and be reasonably happy, but I get feelings of inadequacy, depression, and anxiety all the time. How do we, how does he kind of navigate those Yeah, feelings? so I think that you can be reasonably happy. I love your wording, reasonably happy. And that is actually the prayer of Reinhold Niebuhr, uh, which is um, uh, the 12 step uses. God teaches me to be reasonably happy in this world and ultimately happy in the next. I think that what we need to do is we need to create a category for a little anxiety, mm-hmm. for a little worry and a little anger because we're humans. Mm-hmm. We're not perfect. Jesus was. We're not perfect. You know, Jesus is. We, we don't worship ourselves. We worship Jesus. What we need to do is take stock in ourselves, look at the positive changes that we're making, and just leave grace for yourself. Um, I'm one of those people. Um, I'm a high achiever. I have very little grace for myself. And uh, that makes me more irritable, makes me more angry. And it makes me not a good dad, not a good husband, and not a good pastor. And so I have to have grace for myself. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just would really encourage you to do that and praise God you've made all these positive changes. And again, compare yourself to who you are today against who you were yesterday and measure success in that category because we don't all start off in the same place. We just don't. And so um, we don't come from the same families. Uh, We don't come from the same socioeconomic class. 
we come from different cultures. We come from different ethnicities. All of us are, you know, we have different personalities. All of those things affect who we are positively and negatively. And so we have to have grace for ourselves in our process, in, in our, our calling to follow Jesus. You know, God doesn't call Peter to be John or John to be Peter. He calls them as Peter and as John to follow me. He does. And, um, and they have unique challenges and unique struggles. And so um, I just would give yourself grace. Mm. Thank you for that very real question. That yeah. was awesome. <clears throat> so Savannah struggles with a behavioral, behavioral disorder related to legitimate obsessive compulsive disorder that is often onset by anxious thoughts and also concentration at work. She says, I've tried and tried to overcome it on my own, and I've asked God to heal me from it, but so far I've been unable to overcome it, and God has chosen not to heal me from it yet. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend I rely on God and give my anxieties and work to Him when my body is predisposed to anxious, obsessive, compulsive behavior? Right. So I'm not a psychologist, um, but my understanding of excessive compulsive behavior oftentimes comes from a need to control. And so we, we need to go back. And uh, so control gives us this false sense of security. Mm-hmm. So uh, excessive compulsive behavior, I'm going to do this until it's right. So I feel safe. And so that's literally what it is. I'm going to do this over and over again. I'm going to check the locks and recheck the locks and recheck the locks. I'm going to fold my bed and refold the bed. I'm going to I'm going to run through this repetitive behavior until I get the feeling of safety and security I need. And so what I would do is I would go to a counselor who specializes in that and I would work through when did the OCD start? Mm-hmm. What are some things that happened in your life that made you feel out of control, that made you feel unsafe, that made you feel insecure? And I would work through that and... Um, and again, you know, we can ask God to heal something, but oftentimes in order for God to heal it, we need to do some personal work ourselves. We need to look within ourselves. We need to look at our past. We need to look at our world. We need to kind of map out our life and say, okay, what's happened in my life that's made me believe that if I run through this rhythm, right? And that's what OCD is, this rhythm, this, this rep- repetitious behavior that's going to give me this sense of peace. And uh, this is debilitating. Um, you know, I've had friends that have to lock the front door like four and five times before they go to bed. They have to fold and refold their sheets. Um, all kinds of, of things that they have to do and everything has to feel right. And so that's the problem is, what do you, how do you exist in a world that doesn't feel right? Well, every human being is on some level aware of that. I think OCD people oftentimes are just simply more aware of how the world is not in shalom. It's not at peace. And so how do you get to a place where you can find healing and really talk about you know, what's what's driving this anxiety? Where's it coming from? Really try to get to the root of whatever it is that's off in your life. And 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 maybe there's there's no cure, but you can minimize its effect on your life. Um, you know, there's a great movie, gosh, maybe 15 years ago called As Good As It Gets. And I, and I love that line in the movie where he's uh, an excessive compulsive uh, person. He's reactive. And um, my favorite scene is when he storms into the counselor's office and she says, it's not your appointment. And he says, you act as though I can control this. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's frustrated. But he says in that movie, what if this is as good as it gets? And so a lot of us have to ask ourselves this question. Can I continue to worship God and believe that he is good if this mm. is as good as it gets? And that's worship. Mm. That's worship. worship. Worship of God is not, God, I love you when I get everything that I want and life is completely the way that I want it to be. Worship is, God, I still love you and I will still serve you even though my life is not what I want it to be and this is as good as it gets in this life. And that's ultimately why the cross is the central theme of, uh, of our faith as Christians. 
we've got to go to our cross. We've got to go to that place of suffering, that place of hurt, that place of woundedness. And, and what does Jesus say? Not my will be done, but yours. What is he saying? I'm going to trust your ultimate plan, God, in spite of my suffering. I'm going to believe in you in spite of this hurt, and I'm going to trust you. That's what Jesus does, and he calls us to do the same thing in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our suffering. And for some of us, you know, our cross is anxiety, it's worry, it's bipolar disorder, um, it's OCD, it's all of these things, and we have to trust God in this process. But what, And that doesn't mean that we don't seek help, that we don't try new treatments, um, you know, that we don't do those things, but we accept the world as it is, not as the way we wish it was. The world is not the way anyone wishes that it was. Everybody is struggling with anxiety on some level. Some of us are just more aware of how chaotic and unsafe the world is. We're more sensitive to it. And um, I actually don't think that's a bad thing. The bad thing is, is in your awareness, instead of, you know, in our sinfulness, instead of being able to trust God in that process, right? We're overwhelmed with, I feel small. Mm -hmm. And that's why this week Jesus says little flock. It's, that's, if, man, we should all be anxious, mm. you know? Um, but what is he saying? Look at the ravens, look at the lilies. God ultimately is in control and he's going to make things right. And, and the passage I didn't talk about, he said, don't fear others and what they can do to you, fear God. You know, our, our, our healthy sense of awe and fear needs to start with God. And then Jesus says, and you don't have to ultimately be terrified by God because he loves you and you matter more to him than anything else. Mm -hmm. He cares about you. You know, he is terrifying, but he is good and he does love you. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, you know, again, we just need to have compassion and, and know that, you know, mental illness is something that is that a lot of people struggle with and it seems to be growing because mm -hmm. the world is becoming more and more chaotic and we're becoming more and more disconnected with the goodness of God and the rhythms of life. Um, that, you know, that he set things don't slow down, they don't turn off, we're instantly connected, we're, we're instantly, you know, worried and we're comparing ourselves to others. And, um, you know, the data that's coming out on our, our iPads and our, our smartphones, it, that it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's not good for children. It's not good for us as adults. It's making us more anxious, more worried, more concerned. I mean, you know, none of it's good, but we're not going to stop. You know, right. just like people aren't going to, not everybody's going to quit smoking. I mean, there's no one out there that says, you know, smoking is good for you. Um, but people continue to smoke. And so people will continue to be more stressful. And so here's what I would say is, you know, Matthew 10, 28, for everyone who struggles with anxiety, depression, OCD, whatever, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. He says, learn from me, follow me, trust me. He says, the yoke that I give is easy and the burden is light. He doesn't say there isn't going to be a burden. He says, it's going to be lighter. And so we've got to trust him and say, God, I've got, I've got to bring this to you. And just know it's hard. It's hard. And all of us, if we don't ultimately give things to God, those things are going to wear us down. We're going to be like that bridge in Florida. We're going to collapse. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen when we don't ultimately trust God. Um, the advantage of battling a mental illness, I think, is you're more aware than others are of what stress, worry, and anxiety is doing to your life. You know, if you have OCD or your, your you know, anxiety or personality disorder or something, you're aware that okay, this really impacts my life. Or some of us, I think, kind of live in blindness our whole life as to how the worry and the stress, you know, how it's compiling. And some of us never figure out, but we die at 40. Yeah. I like that reframing of that, uh, th these these issues as uh, a deeper awareness and yeah. the lack of peace. It feels like a beautiful yeah. and honoring. Yeah, it's, it, they're, they're more like sensitive, yeah. right? And, and it, think of the word sensitive. We think of it as weakness, but it comes from the word sense, mm -hmm. 
they sense things that others don't sense. They're more yeah. aware of things that <clears throat> others are not aware. And so all of us are um, intentionally blind to things. We're trying to, right? That's what, it, to be a human being, you have to constantly block things and not see things so that you can get your stuff done. Um, some of us are more aware of what's happening around us and that can be very, very overwhelming. And, um, you know, so we just need to say, okay, that's that's the way that I am, you know? Um, some kids with autism are more sensitive to how clothing feels. I think, you know, we could, we could say, well, that's on them. Or maybe we're just blind how it feels. We mm -hmm. just, you know, we can wear cardboard and get through it. <laughs> um, most of them are like, that doesn't feel right. They're, so there's a sense there that, may, you know, maybe that we're missing. And so we need to be compassionate in that um, and, and try to be loving. So I just would say, you know, all of us have to trust God and, and, and including, so for, so for those of us who don't battle mental illness, we need to have compassion for people who do. We need to encourage people to get help. Um, and, and we need to love them in the process of, of whatever healing the Lord is gonna bring, just like any struggle, any disease, we're gonna love them in whatever process of healing God brings. And just know that in healing, there's always our part and there's God's part. Where I think faith can become manipulative is the assumption is our part is simply believe. If you just believed enough, you would be healed. And that becomes destructive, manipulative, and cult-like. So I think our part is, I'm gonna trust that God can. I'm going to pray that God will. I'm going to accept whatever answer God gives. And so, um, so, so if you want God to heal your OCD, you, you, you believe that he can, you pray that he will, you accept the outcome. If the outcome is no, then what you say is, okay, God, now what are some things I can do to minimize the effect of this illness on me? Mm -hmm. People live with cancer and have great lives. Yeah. Some people are overwhelmed by it. Some people continue to live their life with it. So, you know, it's not, again, the circumstances in our life that destroy us, it's the meaning that we attach to them. And so for a person who's battling mental illness, it would be really easy to begin trusting your own thoughts about God rather than God's word about God. Totally. So you can go with your thoughts or God's thoughts about who he is, which is the scripture. And so, and that's the challenge with mental illnesses is learning to doubt your feelings because, right, feelings don't always tell the truth. So, um, you know, you can feel like you're gonna die, but you're not. And so you're having a panic attack and everything in your body is saying you're dying, but you go to the doctors and they're like, no, your heart's beating. Everything's happening. Um, and I, and I started feeling those things the last three months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Tammy and I, we were in, when I first really noticed things were going south, we were in Australia, actually in Bondi Beach, and we did this beautiful walk. Uh, it's like a nine mile hike on the coast. And so Bondi Beach is like a combination of like Laguna and San Francisco. Mm. So it looks like Laguna, but it's kind of, Sydney's kind of like San Francisco Harbor. Yeah. So San Diego weather with um, Laguna slash San Francisco look. And we, we do this beautiful eight mile hike and we end at this coffee shop and we're in this coffee shop and I'm enjoying an amazing um, ice cream mocha coffee. Oh my gosh. And I had a total panic attack right mm -hmm. there. And I, I just was like, what is going on? And, and it's because that was the first warning shot of my body saying, you're out of control. You are, you are taking on too many things that are not yours. And so it's interesting. A lot of us will run to vacation Mm -hmm. to try to run from anxiety, but anxiety was going to go wherever you are. And so <laughs> it began to, it, it found me there. And I would say that was the definitive moment of when I realized, okay, things are out of control. Mm -hmm. So what, what do I need to give back to God? And what do I need to take responsibility for? And, you know, life is stressful, guys. It's stressful. And here's why many, many people become mentally ill because they can't deal with that fact. It's, it's stressful. It doesn't have to be that stressful if we do good things we trust God and we continue to believe that in the end, it's gonna be okay. 
And I, I'm telling you that narrative and that story is a rudder that guides our ship in these stormy seas. And here's the problem, people don't have that rudder anymore. Mm-hmm. And so life is out of control. Um, you know, I'm gonna talk a little bit about Stephen Hawking on uh, Easter because the stories that we listen to matter. And um, I think his story is debilitating to the human race and not his struggle. His struggle was admirable, but the story that he left is debilitating to people because it gives us no hope. There's no hope. And um, Jesus Christ offers hope. He offers hope even in the face of death. That's the story of Easter. And the thing is, it's not just a story, it happened, right? It happened. And so we've got to trust in that, that, um, that my struggle, however fierce, is only temporary. Mm-hmm. That in the end, Jesus will, will overcome. So go back to the sermon this week and circle those words. Do your best with mental illness. Do your best with your anxiety. Do your best with your family. Prepare for the worst. Like it might not work out, but in the end, trust God for the victory. And I love that. That's why I picked, I don't normally pick the message translation, but I thought it was perfect for what we need to do. Do your very best. Be the best person you can possibly be. Be as strong as you possibly can be, but prepare for the worst. Sometimes we don't get well. Sometimes we don't get healed. Sometimes things don't work out the way we want them to, but trust that in the end, God's gonna have victory. Okay, let's close out with, uh, this has been really, really helpful. We got one last question from PJ. uh, And I love the beauty of this question because we're gonna take all of this and then turn it around to helping others. Mm -hmm. PJ says, I have diagnosed clinical depression and anxiety. And through a lot of therapy, self-reflection and time with God, I've realized that my mental issues are something that have helped mold me into the person that God has crafted me to be. How can I help other people with mental illness become more self-aware so they can live out what God has for them? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And I think that, you know, here, here's what I thought was so healing a couple weeks back when we had Christina Crowley and um, yep. my wife, Tammy, get on stage. They've gone through awful things. Being molested as children is maybe the worst thing that can happen to you as a kid. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't wanna compare suffering, but it, that's in my top three of, of the worst things that could happen. But here's these two women who have struggled mightily and, and um, they're living productive, amazing lives, trusting God. It's not that they're not wounded. It's not that they haven't been hurt or stunted. They have, but they're productive. They're amazing. They're trusting God. They're doing amazing things. And I think that is very healing to everyone in our church who feels like their life was over because they were molested. So here's the beauty of this person. By them telling people, hey, God has used something that's been dark, been awful and terrible in my life for the good for me. It's created, it's helped me to be who I'm called to be. So Romans eight twenty eight, God causes everything to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I believe that's the NLT translation. That's what's happened in his life. And again, that's, you know, um, the, the, I don't know that I used it in every sermon, but you know, it is well with my soul. So uh, written by a rich guy from Chicago whose son dies. I don't know if he died in the great fire of Chicago or right after, but they, they lost m- much of their wealth. They lost a son he sent his wife and girls to England for a vacation, much needed vacation and the ship wrecked. And I don't remember if one or many of his daughters, if not all died and only the wife survived. And the wife sent him a telegram that said all is lost. And in that heartache, in that pain, he wrote, even when sorrow like sea billows roll, it comes wave after wave after wave. It is well with my soul. And so, Oftentimes the greatest words of beauty are written in the deepest valleys of hurt. And that's, that's what we need to understand. Um, sorry, I got emotional. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, as I, as I reflect on my life, you know, the, the, the most famous Psalm for Christian or non-Christians is Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, you know, the, the rod is a stick that the shepherd beats the sheep with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's comfort in discipline from God because it means the shepherd is near. Um, mm-hmm. The rod and the staff, they comfort us and protect us from the wolf. Um, you know, it, it, there's such beauty in the valley that's only found there. And um, I think that there's a love that people are going to experience who battle mental illness and depression that many of us will not understand. Mm-hmm. And um, because you have to trust the mind of Christ when you can't trust your own mind. And that's brutal, mm-hmm. but it's also beautiful. And so um, my heart just goes out for, for people who are suffering and for people who are hurting to know that no matter what level of hurt uh, anxiety, depression, mental illness you're facing, all of us can feel and experience a better life. I'm not talking about it's gone. I'm talking about a better life. Jesus offers a better life. Whatever you have, even if you have terminal brain cancer, Jesus offers a better life. Because even if the cancer gets you, Jesus has you, right? And that's why I picked that verse no, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And if you don't believe that, no one can take you out of my father's hands. Like I am okay. And, um, you know, um, life is difficult, but it doesn't have to be awful. Mm. There can, there's beauty in this world. And, um, you know, there, we, we need to know that. And um, I, think, I think we've created a false story. And the false story that we're told is that, you know, uh, you know, if we just get back to nature and, and, you know, everything's great, man. When we were like that, we got eaten. <laughs> you know, life was not good. Um, and so part of the problem is, is we've done away with a lot of the physical suffering, but we st- we're still broken and there's a lot of mental suffering that's still there. And this this false security that we've created has really caused a lot of unease. The traffic, the, the being condensed, you know, um, not going to bed when the sun goes down or getting up when the sun comes up. There's rhythms of life that we've separated ourselves from because of urbanization, which I think magnifies our mental stress. Um, you know, for most of human history, you never had to worry about what you were going to do for your career. You didn't have to pick. You just did what your parents did. Think about that, man. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to worry about who to marry. It was who was ever there, man, right? You know, my grandpa married Flo. Why? Because she's the only one in that town. So... <laughs> You know, she's the only fifth grader that was a girl. Graduated with 10 people in his high school. I mean, that's my grandpa's life, but it's been a good life. Now, you know, we have, you know, literally millions of options for dating and can't find one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a struggle. So I, I just love you guys and, and my heart. And just just say, I just want to say this. I'm, I don't believe Jesus promises miracles, but he does promise better. Mm-hmm. He promises better. Life can be better. No matter where you are, it can be better. And so here's two truths, right? No matter where you are, it can get worse. And no matter where you are, it can get better. What can ultimately determine the reality of whether it gets better or worse are your choices. Mm-hmm. And so um, people that run to Jesus get better. They don't always get healed, but they get better. And people that run away from Jesus, they all get worse. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. <clears throat> it's a terrible life. So run to Jesus, trust Jesus in spite of your results. Trust Jesus in spite of your results. And mm-hmm. so... Um, you know, most people are only down with God as long as God does what they want. And that's that's not God. That's not the God that I worship. The God that I worship is above my needs, above my desires. Mm-hmm. He knows my needs. 
he knows my desires. He loves me and he cares for me. But, um, you know, I, I've learned as a parent that loving a child doesn't mean that you always give them what they think they want or need. Sometimes what they need is no. And sometimes a little suffering is helpful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that. And I think parents that prevent all suffering from their children do an injustice. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, yeah. Good episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, PJ, I... Uh, you know, uh, share your story. I feel like it's a lot of yeah. what you just said. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to double down on that. You know, m- my wife has been diagnosed with clinical anxiety, and she took was able to take some major healing steps in her own life when somebody um, that she loved and respected was very open and honest about her own uh, journey, and that helped my wife. Um, you know, even me personally, uh, I've heard Christina Crowley share her story many times. I came to mm-hmm. a church the weekend that Tammy and um, uh, Christina shared their stories on stage with you and have been unaffected. But we were sitting here in this room when they were recording that episode and, um, you know, they shared their stories at the right time. And I realized uh, all of a sudden I just had all these memories come back and I realized, mm. holy cow, I I was abused. Oh, I didn't Totally know. blocked it out. I didn't either. I totally yeah. forgot about it. Mm. I've been working through it in counseling the last, what is it, six weeks or whatever. Mm. But there's been a, a ton of incredible personal healing for me. And mm-hmm. Christina Crowley has shared her story and shared her story and shared her story. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the right time and the right moment, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, let me just, I was able to hear. Yeah, it. let me just comment on that. You know, my wife leading up to um, her sharing, she had a memory come back that we had never talked about. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and that's that that's right. So... In in this episode, we're talking about how do I help people understand. Um, th- that's that was that was challenging for me, you know. Okay, how do I deal with new information that I that I didn't know about a person I've been married to for twenty two years and been with for twenty five? I mean, mm-hmm. think about that. And um, but it was the information was just as new for her, and mm-hmm. it was very powerfully wounding, as it was fresh in her mind. And so, um, um, and she actually. Um, remembered it in church at Saddleback while Kay Warren shared her abuse story. No way. Isn't that crazy? So she had a similar experience mm. where she was hearing someone else share their story and, and a new memory came back mm. um, that she's just not ready to talk about. But um, And so, yeah, so we just all need to understand we're all broken, but it can get better. Yeah, it can. Cool. This is not the end. It can get better. And uh, just know for people battling depression, I... Um, never, ever thought I would even consider suicide. But I got to the point in my mid-30s where I could see how that was an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was so em- enmeshed in my pain and my suffering. And I'm going to tell you this, my path of healing was five years. Mm-hmm. Five years. And, um, you know, uh, that's part of why I exercise the way I do. It's part of why I went to counseling. I went to deep healing. I changed the way I ate. I, I changed a lot. Of, I changed everything I could in my life. Mm. And uh, God helped heal me. But let me tell you, man, it got dark. It got so incredibly dark. And um, that's why the Psalm 23 is the most important Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the word is through. Mm. You're not going to stay there forever. You're going to get through it. And God's going to carry you through it. And there's something that we all need to learn in that process. There's something that God wants us or is allowing us to experience to bring about something good in our life. It doesn't say he causes those things. It says he allows those things so that he can bring something good out of that. And, um, you know, sometimes sometimes the good is simply I'm not in control. 
You know, I mean, for, for, for many of you who struggle with OCD, just acknowledging and resting in, I am not in control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I battle that when I'm on airplanes. I am not in control. I don't know how to fly this thing. I can't keep this thing in the air. There is, there's literally nothing I can do whatsoever mm-hmm. to keep this piece of metal that's attached to a rocket in the air surrounded by idiots who brought on devices that could explode, right? <laughs> um, you know, um, so I, I've, got, I've, I've just got to ultimately, what do I do in that situation? I put my life in God's hands mm-hmm. and I pray for the pilot's hands, right? I can do that. What can I do? I can pray for the pilot. God help them not to be an idiot or intoxicated. <laughs> All right. And let and let there be a, a, enough good movies for me to stay. Oh, I can't even watch movies. Sometimes I can't even. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how bad I can't relax on airplanes. Mm-hmm. So, and so that just so you guys know that 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 comes and it comes and goes. You know, I've had a mm-hmm. season of about I don't know about three years of flying anxiety free, um, and then I had that encounter with Tim in Denver last year, where that kind of reignited some anxiety. That was a terrifying yeah, incident. And it. so it's kind of, so there's, there's some new, some new work to do. Yeah. And so, you know, that's just what I would say, just because you heal anxiety in one area of your life doesn't mean that something else in the future won't cause anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Look at your life. Um, I was watching Avengers, um, uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, yeah. for those of you guys who don't care, but um, uh, Dr. Banner, who's the character who turns into the Hulk, he's on this planet. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And he, um, he says, I'm on this planet that's specifically designed to stress me out. And you're telling me not to be stressed. Look, the earth is designed because of sin to, to specifically stress you out. Why does God allow that? So that we can turn to him. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's what we do. And so, and again, guys, learn to trust God with your rhythms. You know, get up, read your Bible, pray every day, go to church on the weekends, take a day off where you do nothing. Life will get better. I'm not saying it'll be perfect, but it will get better. Uh, let me tell you how to screw up your life. Don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Don't trust God. Don't take a Sabbath. And eventually your life will get worse. So, um, you know, surround yourself with people who are for you, who are for you. I, I wish that every person was for me. You know, uh, it's amazing how many pastor friends I had when Sandals was small. Mm. And then it got big. Then I didn't have so many friends. You know why? They weren't for me. Mm. They, they liked me when I was a little flock. Then we became big flock. It's like, you're out. And it's just, it's just crazy. Even people that say they love Jesus are not always for you. And, um, you know, and that, that breaks my heart, you know, uh, pastor, um, or pastor, excuse me, Bishop Sykes. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, gotta get the title, <laughs> um, you know, out in Moreno Valley, it's, it's a predominantly African-American church, probably 99% black church. He asked me to come and preach the sermon for their anniversary. And I was like, well, why do you want me? He said, you're the only pastor that called me to congratulate me when we got our building. I was like, oh my gosh, not even pastors are for pastors, mm-hmm. right? We're all on the team, Jesus. And, and it just shows you how broken we are, even as pastors. And here's the reason. I know how hard it was to get that building because Sandals tried to get it. We tried and we didn't get it. He mm-hmm. got what I prayed for, what I asked for, what I wanted, but he's the church of God. Mm-hmm. And I celebrate that that property is leading people to Christ. And I celebrate for him. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm genuinely excited for his success. And um, we need people in our lives who are not jealous of our success, but are celebrating our success and challenging our sin. You need both. Mm-hmm. You need both. So you don't want people, you know, challenging, um, you know, your, your success. You want people celebrating that, but you don't want people celebrating your sins. A lot of us surround ourselves with the exact opposite. People challenge our success and 
celebrate our sin and, mm-hmm. and you don't want those friends. Do you think it's possible to be diagnosed with high maintenance disorder? Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> you and I both. 